welcome to Fire and Water with Pleasant. I'm a multi-passionate Jew-witchy woman in total coherence with herself, rising Kohenet, that's a Hebrew priestess, and adjunct professor. In these creations, I dive into topics of healing and wholeness, all at the intersection of intuition, intellect, and integration. These creations are within the context of a more liberated, just, and equitable world. Working with elemental healing, nervous system repair, natural rhythms, and regenerative practices, I bridge the past, present, and future, weaving in global wisdom traditions and mystical teachings, translating them for our modern lives. We orient towards physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, energetic, and relational health, exploring death and grief as intentional living practices, ancestral reverence and healing, and we'll dive into rituals and ceremonies and practices for daily life. Let's talk about the great mystery we are living in, the sacred and mundane, the domestic and the divine. Welcome, wise ones, seekers, old souls, modern mystics. Those of us who have a deep reverence for spiritual and divine realms and who also pay bills, maybe raise kids or communities and tend relationships. We are the people who want to heal the earth and her children. Join me in this wild, weird, and wonderful world. And may these creations be of service to your head, heart, hands, and healing. In December 2021, I attended a legacy trip to Alabama. Legacy trips were created by Tina Strawn, and this is a pilgrimage to sacred land in our country about our history. On this trip, I met amazing humans. I learned from amazing humans, teaching, sharing, learning, growing, discovering discomfort, pain, and facing the truth of our history. I'm recording this series of follow-ups a month later with participants and teachers from our trip to integrate, to share, and to um, deepen our experience together now back in our lives after this amazing, powerful, transformative trip to Alabama. All right. Hi, everyone. Today, we're talking with Nandi Kay. Hello. Happy to be here the unicorn, the legend, the fabulous. Um, Will you give your own intro of how you see yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Nandi Kay. I'm currently based in um, Jacksonville, Florida, but uh, kind of also a Brooklyn, New York person. Um, I am a queer, agender, um, anti-racism educator, I'm an artist and I'm also a, a techie. I work in product management and 
have luckily found an intersection of tech and like I'd say DEI to work at. Um, so yeah, I'm just like uh, an artist, always in search of freedom and liberation. Musician, didn't your album? Musician, yeah, yeah. I'm a musician. Yeah, I, I'm a, definitely like I like to characterize myself as like a creative, like a general yeah. artist. I like to work in any medium that seems right, whether that's like a social media post, whether that's a song, whether that is a, a outfit, you know. Yeah, I like to create things. You're multi-passionate. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Multi-passionate. Yeah. When people say, what do you do for a living? I'm like, um, because my I'm head gets flooded with all of the things. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Creative. Um, Okay, so you were one of the incredible leaders at our legacy trip in December, which now was a month ago. Yeah. And a little over a month ago. And I'm doing these conversations with participants and leaders and everyone involved um, to kind of unpack why, you know, tell us a little bit about how you became a leader for legacy. Um, yeah. And then we'll go kind of section by section into how it was for you and then after post. Yeah. Um, so I met Tina at the beginning of the quarantine. So in 2020, uh, we all ended up in a group together. We all kind of were like, I guess, connected by a good friend of mine, Andre Henry. Um, some people might know him. Um, I've known Andre for almost 10 years. Uh, we met in New York. And one day, uh, Andre posted on Facebook. It was like, we need to have like a black state of the union chat about some things that are going on. And myself, Andre Henry, Corey Leak, who was also a facilitator on the trip, Tina as well, Allie Henney, um, Alicia Crosby, all of us got on a call and just like had a talk about black stuff. And it was like really, really dope and we start ended up being in a group chat it's called the black chat and we that's how I met Tina so we always talk about all things kind of anti-racism the first time I worked with Tina um it was with um oh my goodness why what's the podcast called permission speaking to be racism. speaking of racism I'm thinking of another podcast okay <laughs> speaking of racism I think Jen's new podcast is permission to be I think that's what it is but <laughs> speaking of racism uh was doing these uh, f uh patreon offerings where they did like once a month got together and mm -hmm. Tina had an emergency come up once around the time uh, Ahmaud Arbery was killed mm -hmm. and I led that uh in Tina's stead and we became friends over the years, you know, we just, I mean, we're going, I guess, into the third year of our friendship and through everything she was doing with legacy trips, it just seemed pretty natural that some of us from this group would end up leading it. Mm -hmm. um, and so when she pitched in and was like, hey, would you want to lead one of these trips? I was like, absolutely. When she said it was with Corey, I was like, definitely, absolutely. Corey is like the sibling that we were like somehow separated from at some point so it was really um cool to have that opportunity and I would never miss an opportunity to kind of like immerse myself in especially southern like black history I'm born and raised in the south but born and raised in Jacksonville Florida and I grew up with like a lot of black history I think the south I 
at least in my opinion, compared to like living in the North, that's something that we're really big on, you know, um, preserving Black history. And like, we know about Black history down here. Um, I feel in a different way than uh, people in other places do. Uh, so I, I was like, yeah, this is seems like a really incredible thing to do. And I also was intrigued by the people who would be joining this kind of trip, people like you, people like Angela, um, Kim, it was a really, a Nikki, yeah. And people just like, I got to meet people, you know, that I've also interacted with over the years. So that's kind of how I ended up on the trip by way of friendship and just, we're all kind of like doing this work in different ways and it was a great opportunity for us to be together and do it. Before we go into the trip details, did you have any fears or doubts mm. before going about like, wait a minute, I don't know that I want to be with all these white folks or. Um, I don't know if I had like fears. I think one of the main things about, especially because I, we, I knew we were like going to be visiting like the lynching memorial and the lynching museum there is like a certain protectiveness that I feel over like black grief and but I just assumed that the people who were not black who were going to be in this space would be reverent of that like I didn't necessarily I didn't feel like I was going to be like in a space where I felt unsafe to like have my own experience outside of the experience that we were facilitating so I was going in, bracing myself for a heavy, like emotional experience, but I didn't have a lot of concerns about like the people. I think I was just like, how would this affect me? And it was my birthday weekend. And I think that when it, I'm like thinking about my life and then having like this kind of encounter with like ancestors and elders who like we share a history I felt like it made it more profound and I was kind of really bracing myself for that more than anything. Yeah, those cupcakes that you those got. Those cupcakes were fire. Those were the <laughs> strawberry cupcake. Oh my. <laughs> I love strawberry cakes. Like, I wonder if that's like a Southern thing or a Caribbean thing. Cause I feel like I don't <laughs> see strawberry cakes that much, but I was like, this is fire. Corey wanted it. I was like, Corey, yeah. it's my birthday. Yeah, you right. No. Not have it. Uh, and in death, you know, the um, I don't know if you know this, but it's so interesting. There's a like a death cafe movement that's global where we get online or we have um local gatherings called death cafes for death positive conversations. So well just done. normalize death and grief. And one of the main parts of it is eat cake. So I just wow. am honoring that like having cake and sweetness along with the grief and the sorrow yeah. witnessing is really, um, it's a ritual. And in Judaism, when you learn, when you're about to study something new with a new group, you're mm -hmm. supposed to have a, like a teaspoon of honey to honor the sweetness of learning, mm. um, in community. So to me, like having cupcakes and cake and that. celebrating your birth within yeah. this greater context is, just another layer of um, meaning and connection. Yeah, I love that. I also thought about that because it made me just think about everyone who came before me so that I yeah. could be here and like live the life that I get to live. You know, if I was born, you know, just like a few decades earlier, I could have been one of the names on those, you know, 
those posts and I I was just like thinking about that and like wow you know yeah so moving into the weekend what are some of the uh, elements that you want to share the potent or poignant moment or what do you want people to know about um so I think uh first the trip to Selma was really really impactful for me um when we were driving there um I was riding with Tina and Jen and Corey at first I was just thinking they walked this yeah and it was about an hour drive it was about 50 minutes and I was thinking they walked this they were wearing full suits they were dressed like in their Sunday best and and then when we got to the bridge I don't know how to like explain the the like the what it the feeling it is to like come in contact with like a structure that carries so much history like a like this this tangible thing that I can touch that is like directly tied to like how I am able to move about in my life today because going on that bridge it's like you see pictures of it I've seen that I've seen videos of the Selma March. I've seen photographs. I've seen, you know, reimaginings where they, you know, they're on the bridge. But being there, yeah, it I I felt fear. I felt like a kind of like determination like a sinking uh digging in of like my heels I imagined what it was like for everyone who did that march to be coming across that bridge and see that they're like literally faced with violence it's not like this kind of like proverbial violence that I think people really like to talk about these days like I feel like these days violence is like a concept to a lot of people and they it's like a concept it's a it's not something that's actually real you know it's like something you can conceptualize but on that bridge like thinking about what it would be like to come across that bridge facing cops on horses with guns who are ready to kill you for trying to vote, for existing, you know, and that was, it's like, I felt profound sadness, loss, grief, but also like gratitude. And I just, mm-hmm. I think about that if I lived at that time, that I would be dead. Like that's like that that's what I think about. Like sometimes I think about the person who I am and I'm so grateful that I was born like today because mm-hmm. I would not have had a, I probably wouldn't have made it to 30 if I was born in the 60s and the 50s, you know, like mm-hmm. and I just feel grateful for all the people who were like willing to like stand up when it literally meant like you will definitely lose your life you will definitely be injured sometimes beyond repair you will lose your family members you will lose your job you will lose 
your livelihood, you will lose your house. Like just every single consequence that we think about now, but it was so much more threatening then. And I just was like, I felt in awe of everything that they did. And like, I think standing at that bridge was a real like gut check. Yeah. Because some of those people we just lost, you know, like some of them we just lost, like John Lewis, we just lost yeah. him, just lost him. And that is also hard to yeah. think about. Like I just looked up Claudette Coping yesterday. She's still alive. Mm. She's 82 years old. She is younger than my grandmother would have been who passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this point, uh, I think a lot of people in order to move in their daily life currently, like pretend this is ancient history. And we have a similar narrative with the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. There's a similar like, oh, that was so long ago. And I think it's really important to keep threading like ages and birthdays. Yes. and, and really grounding it like it's not that long ago and right. part of our, our current history. Absolutely. As a kid, I was obsessed with the Holocaust mm-hmm. as like, how could something like that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I yeah, as a kid, I was obsessed. Like, I read everything I could get my hands on about the Holocaust because I just didn't understand, like, how something like that could happen. How also, like, when I would see the pictures, I'm like, what's the difference between these people like you know like what how can they how can they like make even make these determinations just like looking at these people like these are like European Jews like I'm like how like how how are we making like these arbitrary distinctions and deciding like someone's existence is a threat is irrelevant is is bad like Mm -hmm. needs to be eradicated like I and that it was just less than a hundred years ago yeah like we're talking like the holocaust was what the 40s 20s 40s 30s and 40s 30s and 40s right that's that's like 70 80 years like we're about to hit 100 years in the next decade-ish two decades like that's people are still alive (laughs) I had, I kind of always had it like way over there. And then when I lived in Israel, it really, I learned so much more about the kind of recent history. Cause it's such mm-hmm. a part of Israel. Yeah, absolutely. I remember calling my grandmother and I was so mad at her. I'm like, what mm. did you do? Why didn't you do anything? Wow. What, what was wrong? You know, I just had all of this and it, and it was bef- before that I had never associated our family with the Holocaust. It was, mm. it was but I think that it's it's interesting that I think in many ways as a kid studying black history and being really involved in black US history as a Jew was mm-hmm. less painful than the Holocaust. So it's really interesting to me that you, you said, oh, I was studying yeah. the Holocaust. Yeah. It's just, it's always been this interesting, there's a lot of intersections and, and parallels yeah. and 
Um, and the race thing is really, is exactly right. Like Jews can pass as white um, and how race keeps changing, depending yes. on labeling it. But for black Americans, that's not true. And right. Has never been true. So there's similarities and a lot of differences. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, yeah, I think that's very interesting to like kind of like the flip of that. Like it's like it feels like it's far off from yeah. you. I think when it's yeah. like so up close. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, and the threat response that it can bring up, the fear, you know, the um stuff that happened January 6th last year mm-hmm. here at the Capitol just brought up a lot of primal, like primary fear and nightmares yeah. and things in the blood. And so, you know, things in my bones that mm-hmm. were coming to life in more of a dreaming state mm-hmm. uh, because of that, that really deep fear. Mm-hmm. So over the rest of the weekend, how was your emotional state? Like how, how was your did you go into threat response at all, or did you feel really safe and held by the group or talk a little bit more about the weekend? For yeah, you? I think I felt super safe and held. It was a great, I wasn't expecting Tina to be there. So that really, <laughs> I was feeling pretty down when on my way there and yeah. <clears throat> I had like a whole flight delay thing and I was feeling yeah. so down, but in the morning, like Tina like came to my room and that made me feel so much better um I think I felt really safe in the group um of people because I just felt like even my whole thing about like this work is like trying to I don't think that like white people need to understand what I'm going through I think that that is asking a little bit too much I think like you can't really put yourself in my experience and especially because of the way that race and racism operates a lot of the things that happen are very it's insidious it's tiny little things that are happening all the time it's like I turn on my tv I scroll on an app I read a post I it's always there um and I think that that the most important thing is like just people like listening to experiences, not necessarily trying to understand, but just being like, when someone says something, this is my experience, like just listening and taking it as that. And I thought that that was really honored. I also felt that I was really able to kind of like have sit in like my grief, like while going through the memorial and going through like the museum. I also appreciated that you know like legacy trips even though it could be like the intro for people like the group that came it wasn't a it's not a one-on-one not a 101 racism 101 class it's for people who are like in the journey constantly making choices every day like waking up every day and saying like I want to be different than the world around me says that is acceptable for me to be especially for white people because I think it's a a harder directive and I especially say for people who are liberal whites because I think liberals have they think they have a shorter journey but I think it takes them so much longer to get there because they think they're so close Um, and so I appreciated that everyone seemed to understand and respect like the space that people who were black on the trip needed also while also 
thinking about like, what are things that I can do going back into my life? What are spaces I could create? Like when you were talking about the spaces you're facilitating in your classes and how overwhelming that can be to know that there's not a lot of educators out there doing that, but being able to shine light on the importance and that you are doing that and not, and even just like thinking about uh, moving from a deficit mindset to like, a more grateful, abundant mindset of like, look at all the things we do have instead of looking at the lack. I thought that those moments were Mm -hmm. really, really important. And being able to like connect with y'all and see, like just meet some new people on the journey and have people to check in with and see what y'all are doing, like how y'all are shaking up your communities. Like that is it's it's important because we can only control like our little corners of the world and I think trips like the legacy trip I just think everyone should do it I mean everyone should do it it was such a some of the things in the museum are like things stories that you've heard all the time especially I grew up in the south so like I know like all the stories about the slave trade but seeing like a map of the the transatlantic slave trade and actually seeing like oh actually the south wasn't first you know like the south wasn't the first people to have slaves (laughs) um in the u.s in in what we now know as the u.s stuff like little stuff like that then the greater narrative that the u.s has shaped seeing like the actual truth of those narratives i think can really just like it's just like reading fucking um a people's history of the united states yeah yeah. when i remember i never finished that book because i was so mad like i was livid about how history just the reshaping of how history is told that's how i felt in that museum of like when history is told from the side of the people who won in quotes you get a very different story and I think that the Lynch Museum like allows you to kind of get into the facts from the people who actually experienced it and I really think that I needed that we need more things like that in other places as well Mm -hmm. the south isn't the only place like when I think about the great migration Mm -hmm. um I think about if we follow those tracks what does it look like to have memorials like that in other towns what would it look like to have a memorial like that in Central Park what would it look like to have a memorial like that in Union Square Park where these people's bodies are were buried that we walk on top of every day you know um and I just think that that's we need more of of this yeah. I think the map, the visual, the way that the museum is laid out, one of the things I've been saying since I've gotten back is like everybody needs to go because once you see the visual mapping of the story of what happened, there's no there's nothing to discuss or argue. It's clear, it's a clear map from here to here, from yeah. what what our history is and where we are now. And so that feels like a really important thread that um it's just nothing to argue about which is why yeah. I agree that everybody should go yeah um, 
who are interested in learning more or exactly well mass incarceration i'm like no no like here's the plan here's how here's how here's what happened now we can start to have honest conversation whose voice is missing why was it missing how do we open you know like nikki's podcast broadening the narrative exactly yeah how do we open how do we start to and then we can come down into these micro conversations and relationships of listening. Yeah. Because I think that, especially when we talk about narrative, I think that the, the person who tells the best story wins. Right. And that's what we see. We see the U S has told quote unquote, the best story, the easiest story that benefits them the most And even though um, I know a lot, I don't think that you can necessarily educate yourself out of racism um, because we know that many educated people are super racist. However, I do think because the U.S., we know like literacy in the U.S. is a big problem. Like I think if you look at some of the stats on the U.S., when you talk about education, literacy, Um, poverty like we look like a what we would call a third world country as well Um, and I think that some pieces of those education I know especially in the south places where especially where the daughters of the confederacy had their hands on um, school books and history books these kind of these kind of museums and this kind of educating this kind of literally connecting the dots for people is really necessary and that's why I think these kind of places need to be more accessible in more places because one it will shake the narrative up like if they put a lynching museum in New York City honey yeah it would shake shit up in New York City because New York City thinks that there's no way that there's racism right right And I'm like, it connects the dots for you. Like you said, there's nothing to argue about. And then it also shines a light when you think about these people in power who are educated. So then you know that they know and that they're acting anyway, the way that they act. And I think that's something that people really need because the U.S. propaganda machine, it worked hard. Yeah. Yeah. The deficit piece that you mentioned before was such a big, like my journal from that day is like all exclamation points. I love it. Fireworks Um, because of that operating from the deficit model in other areas Mm -hmm. and then that just transferring. And so that was such a important um, positive intervention for the just kind of my internal narrative and mindset yeah. about that. And I've really brought that to class. So I really, 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 really appreciate it. I told you that. And I can't say it enough. It's just, it really was such a big deal. And I think it's one of the things I look at about Black joy and Black liberation um, from the sidelines with a bit of like definitely curiosity and envy because it doesn't quite feel like as a Jewish people were, were there yet. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that was a really interesting aha moment was like, mm-hmm. oh, we're, there's still a lot of fear and deficit. We haven't quite 
made this bridge to Jewish joy. And it's mm-hmm. funny that I say that once I came back, I started looking for it more. And one of the, um, one of my siblings in Kohenet, my training program is a black Jew yeah. and her podcast and her work is called, um, uh, joyful justice. Love it. And so then I saw, oh, that's what Aviva Rakefit's doing. That's what April's doing. Okay, cool. So starting to then orient towards joy for all more mm-hmm. communities, more abundance mindset, more what has happened and not focusing on the deficit. So I just want to yeah. pull that, let you know how that continue, how that has that's continued so to integrate in terms of um, more alignment and more seeking out, um, moving away from that model. Cause it's not, yeah, that <laughs> I think, I think also that's just something that's generally, it's very hard, I think, to not look at all the deficit, <laughs> you know, like it is super hard when like the things that you don't have yeah. are constantly like blaring you in the face or the people that do have the things you don't have are constantly yeah saying how if you just worked harder uh it's your fault you don't have it it's you know that kind of stuff it's hard to not focus on that I think I really struggle with like it's so like it sometimes I I was watching like a documentary about DMX this weekend Mm -hmm. and it was really hard. I basically, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I basically immediately started crying because I was thinking, watching him struggle, they're videoing it, making a documentary about him, about his struggling. He's in the public eye. He's been like, made money for record labels and for all these people and also like we watched him struggle in the public eye never get help or he did get help on multiple occasions but you know it just addiction is a disease and like but I think the way we treat people with addiction like I think of like this current opioid crisis and then I compare it to like how do we treat people like DMX right and it breaks my heart it breaks my heart that like he didn't have with everything that he looks like he had he didn't have that thing and it is hard to not it's hard to find like joy but also I think about all the things because one thing that kind of got me more towards joy is like white people associating like blackness with only things that are negative so like when people are like when white people are like well I grew up poor too I'm like bitch all black people aren't poor now hold on now like it's like yeah I did grow up poor but like that's not that's a reality of the U.S. It's not that has nothing to do with like your race. You're poor for different reasons that I am poor, right? Like, and I didn't like that people were trying to relate to my experience as a black person on negative aspects because I love being black. Like, I would never want to be anything else. I love black people. I love like all the things that we have. Mm -hmm. that is 
like unique to us like I and like there and I wanted I was like you know what I should maybe like I should probably like stop talking about blackness as like it's this burden because Mm -hmm. white supremacy is the burden not blackness and it was it took me a long time to get there to be like actually it's not hard being black white supremacy is hard so that's the other one of the other conversations we had on one of the nights where you we had a conversation uh, that you were leading about whiteness harming everybody and um and then you said something around like how difficult it might be like I think what you were saying is how difficult it might be to not have community and joy and yeah um connection and how isolate and community you know really that yeah. piece and I remember I had I we went to see in the heights my daughter uh, and I yeah. when we left she was I was just I'm like oh there's so much there that we don't have. Like I don't have, yeah. I'll speak for myself. I yeah, white supremacy is isolating as fuck. That, it's individualist. Yeah. How much food, community, culture, music, it's just isolated and separated. And there's a part of my particular soul that just longs for that and loves that and has always been really drawn and attracted to that. And so now that it's so clearly named in multiple society in films and in music, and then sitting in circle and having that recognition, like, yes, like I'm just affirming Mm -hmm. absolutely the isolation and the uh, whitewashing, literally how much it has harmed and taken, um, from all humans. I'm not, I'm not saying. Yeah, that. absolutely. Again, no, it has. Suffering. It's just, no, it yeah. Thing. <laughs> and I, that's, I actually love to, I just want, I just want white people to just like stop and look and be like, are you benefiting from white supremacy? Like, I just want, I just want everyone, every white person to just stop and say, what have I gotten? Because yeah. I'm white. Because I don't think that people are really only the top of the top who we all know their names are really racking up any benefits. Like white people, people who are, who become white because white people, white doesn't really exist. I think about like people who actually do like Italian culture, that's a culture. Yeah, right. Right, like Italian culture is a culture. why would you let whiteness replace that like you why would you let whiteness which is basically a culture of hate and violence is to be hateful and violent towards other people that's the culture of white supremacy why would you give up your rich italian ancestry heritage and culture for whiteness like southern culture it's rich like yeah southern culture is rich yeah why would you give that up for whiteness like growing up anywhere in the world that every place has its own unique culture why would you give that up for to be white you know and I understand for some people some people it's just easier I've talked to people who are from the Middle East who have come to the U.S. who basically are white now that they're here and yeah. that's an experience that's also unique of like immigrating to a country 
having your culture and then all of a sudden now you're white when you check a box on something that's another experience that I feel like and that's why I'd be like why don't you just think about how does it affect you negatively right like how does white supremacy affect you negatively when I see a poor cishead white man I'm like you should be the maddest right this system was supposed to be set up for you to win so why are you not man tearing it down when you're poor? Right. I think also I'm hoping that this, and start, I'm starting to see this kind of snowball that it's sending some of us who have that longing back to our roots to bring through that. So my kids are growing up with more Jewish stories and narrative mm-hmm. and music and tradition than I did. Um, and that's on purpose. And right. I also have an Irish side. And so I've been exploring like my Celtic roots and yes. like what, are, what's, what happened. And that's a, that's a very long resilient story as well. Yes, it is. Exactly. So I think it's sending us back down the lines. Like what is, what else is there? What other traditions are there? Right. And I'm learning that through the beautiful modeling of people like you and the expression of that. And so I really am grateful um for the last part what about post how are you doing since you got back has it been just integrating well and anything any final thoughts on that I want to um I think that after going to that um I so going back into like my job we're in a DEI space but we help Mm -hmm. like pretty privileged people um one thing that I was thinking about, and I, I have a meeting with someone this week, is that my company is led by a white woman, and um, she grew up as Quakers, the Quakers, mm-hmm. you know, the Quakers, the, what are they mm-hmm. called, what are they called, this school, whatever, which is super cool, right. I didn't, yeah, friends, yeah, right. fr- yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was super cool, never knew about that, but I do know that Quakers, and who is it also Calvinist not Calvinist they're universalist I know I'm thinking of another group of Christians that have like an anti-racist background but I know the Quakers have like a historically anti-racist background like and I and it was really cool to learn that she grew up like that but also she was like you know my first husband was black and you know I blah 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 racism pulled over in the car and I'm just like y'all don't don't use you know black people to shield you from that experience and so something I uh was thinking just moving forward is like how can I kind of like just continue to intersect my two worlds like something it's very hard to be like openly an anti-racism advocate in tech tech is racist as fuck Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people say to me like, oh, I don't know if you want to be a product manager or activist, bitch, I want to be both Yeah, because like rape technology is also racist because it's built by racism. So for me, I just have been taking <clears throat> one, remembering to just think of all the people that came before me and know that I'm also one in a line. There will be many people after me. And so like, I don't have to change the world. I only have to try to change my world. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that I'm always trying to focus on of how I can make my world more safe for everyone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then also how I can just try to shift people's thinking a little bit. You know, I think that asking um, r- residents of the United States to care about other people is, I think that's asking a little bit too much of them because of the way that we're conditioned in this society to only care about ourselves and not worry about how it hurts but think about yourself like if you think about yourself what do you gain (laughs) what are you gaining like what's the cost do a cost benefit analysis of holding bias against against people who are not white against people who are not straight against people who are not thin against people who are not monogamous against people who are not married against children like I mean like because even we have a children problem where in the U.S. apparently children are not people yeah and and we don't treat them as such they don't have rights that we that we do what they do what we tell them if they don't there's consequences. We take away their resources. We, you know, lead them to fend for themselves. And we say, oh, well, it's a hard world out there. So I'm trying to prepare you, you know, like think about what is the cost benefit analysis, like do a cost benefit analysis. What are you gaining from participating in this system? Highly likely it's going to be nothing. And like every day I'm like, what can I gain today? Yeah. And like nothing is gained by me participating in white supremacy, but if advocacy, if I can present abolition to some someone yeah. in a way that is, um, you know, helpful, like we're, uh, I'm, I'm running a book club right now with um, the Dunford D.D. White Labor Collective, and we're reading, um, we do this till we free us by Mariame Kaba, and it's abolition 101. And the way that it talks through abolition, I think is so important so that people understand that like, we're reimagining a world. We're not talking about like, how can we like take the world we have and make something new? We can't make nothing new out of this. Right. We have to think about what are the things we have not tried yet. We haven't tried to address people's needs. We haven't tried to address people's resource needs. Yeah. We, try, we haven't tried to make people stop working to be alive like prioritize humanity yeah yeah health and financial health exactly all those things are all factors into you know the things that white supremacy claims that they're protecting white people from so I'm just thinking like how can I put all those things into my little corner of the world who can I talk to who can I help who can I just educate you know and I'd be learning too like right now I'm like super deep into like I just started this big K drama thing. I'm very big into Korean dramas right now. And I'm learning a ton about Korean history, about um, Korea's Japanese occupation, being a part of a Chinese tributary system. I'm learning so much just about like colonization and like these kind of like supremacist ideas. They're global. It's not just in the United States. And we have to also and that's like one thing about Angela Davis I love about how she always is like y'all think about the world think about the entire world and like whenever I pop in and start learning stuff about a new culture I'm like damn they feel it too I remember the first time my my really good Korean homegirl had gone to Japan and she talked about what 
conflicting feelings she had being in Japan. And I was like, wow. So rich. So the, much. The systems of oppression, like I love that you're entering it with that sociological view because I do think it helps actually our nervous systems be able to regulate in the present of our current systems of yes. oppression and like this late stage capitalist <sighs> that everybody right. and this like the larger narratives of that. So yeah. um, your curiosity and your um, love of learning and passion for living is so contagious and so magical you are truly a divine divine human i absolutely love um getting to know your work and supporting walking with you in this life thing yeah <laughs> and asking questions and really listening to your deeply deeply intelligent responses so thank you so much for the gift thank that you, you are Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we met. You know, I love Thank just you. like I love just making like these serendipitous connections that are just like so beautiful. I I just think that there's just so much benefit in learning from people who are different than you. So, Thank you. Thank you.